All right, let's open our Bibles tonight. I hope you have it with you to Mark chapter 15, verse 42. Mark 15, verse 42. We're going to read down there from verse 42 to about verse 47 or so. Now when evening had come, behold, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled that he was already dead and some of the centurion. He asked him if he had been dead for some time. And when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And he came and he brought fine linen, and he took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rocks and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, uh, Josie, observed where he had laid him. Father, tonight as we think about the reaction or to the response, really, that your Gospels give us to your son's death, there's so much to learn from the reactions, from the from the actions of those around that cross that day. And we pray that we would be encouraged even tonight to, Lord, take the message of your Son and, and share it with a generation that certainly needs to hear it from us. So may you speak to our hearts and may we respond well by your Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark was a young guy when Jesus was around. In fact, Mark tells us he was about 12. And so Mark's gospel was written really as a testimony of Peter. Peter took Mark in. Peter led Mark to the Lord. Peter shared with Mark everything that Jesus did and said, everything that Peter remembered. And Mark, as, as, as you know, the other gospel writers, really was moved for uh, thinking about who the Lord was and hearing it, was moved in particular by Jesus' servant heart. And so Mark's gospel focuses upon the doing of Jesus, not the saying of Jesus. You won't find too many sermons in this short gospel. You'll find a lot of miracles and a lot of action. In fact, Mark goes out of his way to say to us, Jesus was ready with passion in his heart for the souls of men to share, whether it was night or day, whether it had been a long day before, whether he was received or, or, or welcomed or if he, whether he was criticized, whether people wanted to, to hear it or not, didn't matter to him. He was just constantly serving and reaching out. And Mark's purpose is to say to the church, that's kind of what we have to do in following the Lord. The, the theme verse of, of this book is Mark 10, 40, uh, 45. And it says that the, that the Lord didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And so much of what you read in Mark's gospel has to do with doing. He doesn't let you read and then just kind of observe. Everything kind of ends with, you know, a a kick to the backside. Let's go, man. Let's go get this done. And let's follow the Lord. So I brought you here this evening to these verses because as much as we're told about the, the cross and all that took place around the cross, there is a little bit that is told to us about the initial reactions to the cross. Do you remember Simon there in the, that prophet in the temple when Mary came to dedicate her son 
And, and he spoke to her a couple of things about Jesus, but one of the things he said to her that a sword would pierce her soul. And then he said, so that the hearts of many would be revealed. And going forward, that certainly was the case. Even today, your heart, in terms of your relationship with God, is completely revealed by how you react to the cross of Jesus. How, how, what does that matter to you? How does that move you? And it is in, indeed that whole issue that Jesus, throughout his ministry, and to this day, reveals men's hearts by the response that they have towards his word and towards his sacrifice. And so I wanted to take you through a couple of these folks who are interesting pictures to me because they knew and did very little with what they knew. They were not motivated to act until Jesus died, which seems to me in many ways to be far too little too late in, in many ways. And yet once they recognized his sacrifice they were willing to risk everything that they had only wanted to protect protect beforehand. So we read in verse 42, when it was evening and the preparation day before the Passover had had come, we know from the scriptures that Jesus died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, that the Sabbath started at uh, sunset, that the normal practice of the Romans was to leave those who were crucified on the on the cross for days. It was a good warning to everyone passing by, don't come messing around in this town. Um, and, and, and if you were crucified, you would take three, sometimes four days to die. You died through suffocation. You, you couldn't, after a while, push up with your legs any longer. Um, you couldn't exhale, and so you couldn't inhale, and you would suffocate. They the Romans set that aside to kind of keep peace with the Jews that they were overseeing at, at times like this, holidays, you know, and, and feast days. And so they would mercifully break the legs of those who had been, been killed. So they, they were no longer able to, to push up and they would die in a matter of hours or a day as opposed to days. And so when they checked on Jesus, though, he had already died because he was in charge of everything, wasn't he? He had come, his work was done, he wasn't hanging around. Victory was had for all of us. And Pilate, very surprised that the Lord was already dead, and he meets this fellow, Joseph of Arimathea. We, we know a lot about this guy, Joseph. We know that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council in Israel, the supreme court of the land, a guy that, that had been there for years, according to everything we read in the Gospels. He was a prominent member. He he was called that here in, in the scripture, uh, a prominent council member. He was distinguished in that his you know, opinions were held in high esteem. He carried lots of weight. Matthew tells us that he, he was from a town about 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem, a place called Rama. Rama was the place that Samuel was born. Luke records of Joseph that he was a good and a just man, which seems to have or to me to be some unusual characteristics for a guy that was a Sanhedrin member, because for the most part, these guys were crooked. They were religious imposters. They, you know, they, they sought Jesus' death for years. They, they were phonies outwardly, and, and, and the Lord exposed them as such. But, but here is at least one of the men on that council that God's word would say he was a pretty decent guy. Um, and the Bible doesn't throw those descriptive words of, of good and, and just around loosely. Mark tells us here that, that Joseph was also waiting for the kingdom of God, which is an interesting understanding because as a believer 
in the Old Testament, if you will, promises regarding the Messiah, everything that a Jew would have been taught in Jesus' day about the suffering of the Messiah would have been spiritualized. So, you know, it meant Israel or God's people, and it was an allegorical statement. No one bought into the thought that Jesus was going to actually, or the Messiah was actually going to die. That wasn't part of the equation. When he came, we rule. When, we, when he comes, we win, right? And so to have a fellow that, that is looking for the kingdom and has set his heart on, on, on Jesus maybe being indeed that Messiah is an, is an interesting guy because Jesus now had died. And it isn't until Jesus dies that a good, prominent, just believer in the scriptures comes to expose himself for everyone to see, defiles himself ceremonially for the Passover because he'll be around a dead body. He's not going to be able to participate. And he really sets himself apart from everything that up until this point had been his life, his religion, his influence, his word, his power. And he comes to bury Jesus. At at Jesus' death, here's a man whose heart is revealed, whose faith is set on display. display. It's kind of what happens to us, right? The the gospel is is the death and and the resurrection of Christ. In fact, if you want to outline the Bible, the the Bible is only interested in in two things, the first coming and then the second coming of Christ. That, that, That sums the whole thing up. Now you know all 66 books, don't you? His first coming and his second. And every epistle, every sermon that you find in the book of Acts has at its core the death of Jesus for the sins of the world and his resurrection. So here's a guy that is moved by the death of Jesus to come out, if you will, and to declare himself a believer. Up to this point, he has been a secret disciple, a hidden believer, a guy who who you wouldn't have guessed might have been one of you. And according to the Bible, he wasn't the only guy. In fact, I think John writes in chapter 12 that there were several folks on this council of 70 men who believed in Christ. But they all hid it from each other. In fact, John's explanation in chapter 12 was that they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. There was penalties involved for for confessing Christ and that they loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. But something happened to this guy. The cross changed his perspective, his understanding. All of a sudden, what the Lord did for him was of greater value to him than what he hoped to hang on to by being secretive all of these years. You know, the applause and the admiration of men. It it, it amazes me that amongst a group of 70 very powerful men, there were several folks who believed in Jesus, but because of fear of reproach, None of them had told the others. They were sitting together. And no one so much has even mentioned that they were intimidated. They were afraid. They, they wanted approval. Who doesn't? They wanted to protect their, their position. They, they wanted to protect their income and their reputation. And so they were afraid. And that was pretty pervasive. And, and maybe in the church, unfortunately, sometimes it still is. You remember in John chapter 9 when that fellow who was born blind was healed by the Lord? And Jesus kind of healed him and took off. And the Sanhedrin, the, the, the Pharisees and all, came to this young man's parents and they said, is this your boy? And they said, that's our boy. Was he blind? Oh, he's been blind his whole life. Well, how is it that now he sees? 
Now, you would think any parent of, of any place would have said, it's a miracle. There's this guy, right? Wouldn't you have been like shouting it from the rooftop? That's your boy. But they said this. He's old enough. Ask him yourself. And then you read in John chapter 9 because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of the, uh, of the, the censure that, that would come with it. They, they were afraid because the Jews had agreed, I think it's John 9.22, that if they confessed Christ, they'd be put out of the synagogues. And that's more, more than getting thrown out of church. That's getting thrown out of Dodge, right? Synagogue was the center of, of, of social life. Your, your doctor was there. Your, your grocer was there. Your, your friends were there. Your support group was there. Your job was there. And, and you lost everything to just to say the obvious. My boy couldn't see. I don't know what happened, but he can see. But they sloughed it off to, he's old enough, ask him for yourself. They weren't really willing to risk it. Uh, you, you might remember back in John, I think it's chapter 7, when the people came to the feast in Jerusalem and, and they, they were talking about, you know, who is this Jesus? And, and some said, well, he's good. And other people said, oh, no, I think he's deceptive. We're not sure we, whether we can trust him or not. But then there's that line in John uh, chapter, I think it's uh, 7, 13, maybe 14, somewhere there. It says no one would speak openly of him because they were afraid of the Jews. So there was this innate, you know, cost involved in associating with Christ. But, but here you find, you know, 70 men, and on the, the panel of these seven, there were men who absolutely were convinced that Jesus might indeed have been the Messiah that they had been waiting for. But, but fear had, had been attached to all of their behavior, just like the blind man's parents. Fear kept them because the approval of men was so important, and they wanted to avoid the consequences of identifying with Jesus. With all the you know people running around in our culture saying I identify as a whatever I want to just let you know I identify as a Christian. That's what I'd like to be a Christian. Just if you can know me as a Christian, that'd be great. Luke tells us in chapter twenty-three, verse fifty-one, that Joseph had not this Joseph had not content, consented to the vote that was held the night that the before when they voted to take Jesus to Pilate and have him killed. Now, they'd been having meetings for several years, according to the Gospels, but they had formulated some charges they thought might stick. They had brought in some false witnesses. They'd worked through the night, right? They'd done everything wrong, everything illegal, right? Every trial was just illegal. It was at night. It was capital punishment. They, you know, they made him testify against himself or, or sought to. In, in any case, Joseph wasn't at the meeting because we, we read in a couple of places, and Mark says so, I think, in chapter 14 here, that everyone voted unanimously to have Jesus killed. And so the only way that could have both have worked is Joseph didn't show up. And I suspect that also the other fellow that doesn't show up is Nicodemus, who shows up in our story as well. So here's two guys of the 70. You know two names. Joseph from Arimathea, outside of Dodge, and Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the secret follower of Jesus. You remember you, he had come at, at night to the Lord there in John chapter 3, obviously. Um, and by the way, John is very, he's very glib about that. Whenever he mentions Nicodemus' name, he'll say this. Nicodemus, comma, who came to Jesus at night. Nick at night. Remember that? Right? And, and it is the only time you see Nick coming during the day is right here. At the death of Jesus, things changed for old Nick as well. Up until then, he was a, 
He was an insightful guy. He was an old-timer. He'd been around a long time. He, he wasn't willing to just sit back and not understand what was going on. But he came to Jesus at night. We know that, that, that no man can do the works that you do unless God is with him. Talk to me about heaven and getting there. And, he, you know, he got to hear that whole sermon, a sermon about being born again. So Nicodemus comes out as well, according to the Gospels, as Joseph does after Jesus had died. It was the initial reaction of two men who had kept their faith a secret. You might remember Nicodemus was a fellow that had tried sticking up for Jesus at a, one of these council meetings in John chapter 7. And when they had met together, and, and you might remember that the soldiers had asked, been asked by the Sanhedrin to go arrest Jesus. He was in the temple area, and they came back empty-handed. And they said, where is he? And they said, oh, we've never heard a guy speak like this. They were just moved by his words. And so as they began to speak together to one another um, and, and complain about it, Nicodemus stood up and he said, hey, how can we charge a guy before we even hear him? And they, they said to him, are you one of them too? You know, are you hooked up with these Galileans? And that was it, man. Nicodemus went right back to being Nick at night and, and hiding his faith. So for both of them, for others like them, fear pushed them into the shadows. They, they became secret admirers. They were both kind of in the same boat. They both believed in Jesus. They were both afraid of men. And yet now when he dies... Their convictions push them out into the open. It's, it's pretty interesting to me because I find that so often it is so difficult to get people to share their faith with a world that oftentimes doesn't want to hear it. But I'm convinced that when you are moved by what he has done for you, whatever the cost, it's worth telling, isn't it? Once you really get it, you know, this is Jesus dying where I should die. He's standing where I should be. Then the story becomes fairly easy to tell, even if there's some pushback, right, or some blowback, or some, some difficulty. There really is no way to know how long Joseph was a believer, but now he comes forward. And not even Jesus' death, because that looks pretty final to everyone, at least until Sunday. Even Jesus' death doesn't deter his passion. He, he has made up his mind, and this was a pretty dangerous time. Think about this. All of the disciples had run for their lives, they concluded this was over, we're out, hiding in fear. The, Joseph and Nicodemus come to identify themselves with a man that had been murdered or killed for his crimes, though he had committed none, but to identify with someone who has suffered death by judgment would put you in a very precarious place. And yet... His death drove both of these men out into the open. Fear gave way to devotion. And so Joseph comes to ask Pilate for his body, who, ascertaining that he was already dead and surprised by it, gives permission. And he, with, with Nicodemus, show up. Now, here's what John writes in chapter 19. It's, a, it's, it's the, the same time. It says, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but, fear, uh, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. And so he came, and he took the body of Jesus, while Nicodemus, who at first came to him at night, there goes John again, also came, brought with him a mixture of myrrh and aloes, some hundred pounds, and they took the body of Jesus. They bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the customs of the Jews was to be buried. 
And so they come to get Jesus. And they meet together. And I don't know. I, 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 I'll wait to get to heaven to see the video. I want to see Joseph going, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, Joseph? Nick, it ain't night. What are you doing out here? You know, that's going to be the, the discussion. They both meet at the, at, the, at, the, at the cross, right? They were both moved from secret faith to public declaration. They, they took Jesus to a personal tomb in a, in a garden that belonged, it seems, to Joseph, Matthew 26, at the foot of the hill, John 19, where Jesus died. But I want you to think about at least their lives for a couple of minutes in terms of, uh, of how much uh, fear can rip you off. You know, the Bible says that fear is a snare and that fear is a trap. I think it's Proverbs, right? 29, is it? Verse 25 that says, the fear of man will bring a snare. But if you trust in the Lord, then you're safe. The word snare is a, is a pretty strong word. It literally means it's something that you get caught in. It's the opposite of freedom. But it implies that you didn't see it coming, right? You, you, you got your foot stuck in it. You didn't know it was there. You got trapped, and it was too late. So it is an awful hard thing for you and I as Christians to live silent, believing lives. In fact, the Bible would say that's kind of a hindrance to your way of life. It'll ensnare you. It'll trap you. It won't set you free. It'll bind you. That somehow the secretive nature of or the fear of, you know, being associated with Christ, especially in our culture today, would, 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 you would think, gosh, it'll be easier if I don't say anything. The Bible would say it's going to be a lot harder if you don't say anything. And here's two men that I think would say amen to that. Fear isn't something that, that just kind of is, is, is the subject of some people's way of life. It seems to affect everyone. I I remember reading in Galatians, was it chapter 2, where, where Peter was there in Antioch eating with Gentiles, right? He was having burgers and fries and bacon. He was eating Gentile food, and he was comfortable with the freedom that he had in Christ until, we read, there were some Jews, or believers, saints, but Jews from Jerusalem and from the church of James, you know, downtown, the one that had the, the least capability of of early on opening their arms to the grace that God had brought to all. They were, they were pretty prejudiced and, and they were pretty snobbish and it took them a long time to kind of let go. But, but they had influence in the early church and Peter was worried about them. Though he had freedom, when he saw them guys coming, he quickly got over to the kosher stable. Had a falafel and some shawarma, I don't know. You know, he ran away from the In-N-Out burger he was at. And, and not only did he do that out of fear... But, but Paul said it to the Galatians, I had to get in Peter's face. I had to withstand him to his faith because when these men came from James, he went from eating with Gentiles, he withdraw, and he sat with those you know, of the circumcision and the Jews saw him playing the hypocrite and they were caught up with it. And even a guy, Barnabas, was carried away with his hypocrisy. I mean, he stumbled all because he was afraid. This is Peter, guy we would look up to. You know, a guy we could, we could say, man, he preached the first sermon. He was cool, man. He, had, he was there on Pentecost preaching it. He, he preached a two-minute and 30-second sermon, if we have the whole thing, and 3,000 people got saved. That ought to be a good lesson to us pastors, not to be long-winded. We just need to be more filled with the Spirit, I think, and not so dependent upon our much talking. Fear moved Abraham. I, you might remember in, in Genesis beginning, I think, verse... Chapter 12, again, chapter 20. Two times, 
Abraham ran into the Pharaoh with his wife and both times talked her into lying, saying that she was his sister because he thought she was so pretty they'd kill him and take her. And he got caught both times. And as if that wasn't enough, years later, his son Isaac with his wife Rebekah did the same thing in Genesis 26. So, you know, like father, like boy, I guess. So fear of man doesn't doesn't affect religious people, by the way, because religious religious people are accepted by our, almost everyone. Oh yeah, you know that's their that's their way of life. That's what they believe. Until they come to you as a believer in Christ, a religion that, that is no religion. It's a relationship, right? It's 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 a it's a relationship with with a God who speaks to you and, and loves you, and who speaks through His Word to you. Well, you're the one who has to put up with that whole pressure of fear for following the Lord openly. You know, the question I I ask myself when I am hesitant to speak up is, how could I deny the great love that God has had for me? And the answer is, sometimes it's the fear of man that can shut you up. And that's too bad, because let's face it, the church isn't doing a great job of preaching yet, are we? we? We need to be out there more than ever. There's lots of folks that claim allegiance to Jesus, but not publicly. And they'll seek to justify it, but there, there really is no justification for being quiet. And I think these two guys and others prove the fact that it's a bad exchange. You're going to lose in the process. You know, when, when I get to Matthew chapter 10, and, and, and Jesus says, If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. I have written in my Bible the word, yikes. I hate that verse. I wish it wasn't in there. I wanted to cross it out, but that's even worse. Then you get in bigger trouble. But isn't that, a, isn't that frightening you? If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. Now, you can work that all, any way you want, but, but it's not hard to understand. He wants you to step up for him, right? And, and if you know what he did, the stepping up becomes far easier than if it's just an obligation that you feel that you have, but it isn't motivated by that understanding of his love. What do you fear? Usually it's the same thing for everyone. It certainly was the same thing for these guys. Approval is a is an real important issue in people's lives. We, we want people to like us. Nobody likes conflict. We want people to you know, respect us. We, we want to be in the group, not out of the group. You know, people's opinions matter whether you think they do or not. You, you hate ridicule. Rejection is not fun. Social isolation is, is not a, a price that most of us are willing to pay. And, and you find that true with these two men as well. So because of that, we don't talk to our family about Christ. We, we won't talk to our neighbors. We, we're, we're not so keen to share with our friends or, or workmates. But, but understand this. A, a silent life is a fruitless life, isn't it? You can't get anything done. If the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, if you're a quiet mum and sitting in the corner, you can get nothing done. Things just kind of go by you. God never called any of us to, uh, you know, secret service, if you will. But only the fear of men will cause you to not be publicly saved. Publicly saved. By that I mean, you know, you're, not, you're wearing your faith on your, on your sleeve. You're, you're, you're willing to speak up for him. It, it took Joseph and Nicodemus, at least Nicodemus, at least three and a half years to come forward. Right? Jesus, his earthly ministry had just begun in John 3. It was over here, for the most part, at the cross. 
and we don't know about Joseph, but, but all of them up to this time, both of them in, at least, suppressed what was their desire to say. They, they buttoned up their overcoat so no one could see the jersey they were wearing, what team they were on. They didn't want to speak up. You know, I think peer pressure is far more than a kid's problem. My parents used to talk to me about peer pressure and don't let little Johnny talk into anything, you know. And kids will do anything for, you know, fitting in. And we shake our heads at kids. Oh, they're just kids. No, we're as dumb as they are. We do the exact same thing. We just are better at covering it up. But if you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to have to be bold and singular and and filled with the Spirit. And, And I'll tell you what. Satan's maybe his greatest ploy against the church's witness is to just have us loving the praises of men more than the praises of God. It'll stop anybody in their tracks. I care what they think. I care how they feel. I I care what what they'll hear. And yet, as these men, I think, should show us, the life of a secret disciple is unfulfilling. It's guilt-ridden. It's unfruitful and it wasn't until they come out into the open that they begin to accomplish God's purposes for their lives the change though in them came at the cross the cross changed things for them the cross changed things for me how about you it's what Simeon said to Mary going to pierce your heart but the because of the suffering of your son the hearts of many are going to be revealed And here their heart is revealed. It's laid out for everyone to see. Nicodemus, we read, and I read it to you out of John 19, brought a hundred pounds of spices. Now, I should tell you that the Jewish, you know, they didn't embalm people. They wrapped them and they stuffed smelly good things around their bodies. But a hundred pounds could have buried a city. Why did he bring a hundred pounds? I think he brought it to make up for all that lost time. Right? I want, to, I want to do the best I can. You want to think, hear even worse? The women watched this, and the Gospels will tell us that they made a plan on the first day they could travel to come back with more spices. They loved them so much, 100 pounds was not nearly enough. But, but you know, both of them had been un- unfaithful to their convictions. Now they go public, they come out of the closet, they come out of the shadows. And I I wonder if they were not surprised to see each other. But I'll tell you what happened to them, at least in terms of what we read. And that is that the cross of Jesus made them reevaluate everything that they were afraid of losing. Because it didn't matter anymore, right? It didn't matter anymore. Everything that they had sought to protect with their silence meant nothing to them now. They both come out. And and they, they both come out as believers. And even now, as they come forward, their careers are over. They're going to get kicked out of town. They're not going to be invited to speak, or they're not getting another check in the mail. They're not going to be held in esteem anymore. They're going to be the laughing stock of their community. Their position is gone. Their security is gone. The approval of others are gone. Everything that they held on to so tight for, for Nicodemus, at least three and a half years, absolutely goes away at the cross. And I think, how much did he lose that he could have had had he just followed the, the Lord early on? He could have sat at his feet. He could have watched him work. 
He could have been there when the eyes of the blind were opened. He could have listened to the Sermon on the Mount. He, he could have been at the Last Supper. He could have been in a lot of places, right? He could have seen and, and experienced the things of God. His life could have been rich and fulfilling, but he doesn't do it. He, 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 he lets fear push him out until the cross brings him out. A, a treasury of, of memories flung away by, you know, the fear of a couple of curled-lipped, long-bearded, narrow-minded, self-righteous bunch of guys. Oh, man, I don't know what they think. Well, who cares what they think? Secret discipleship for you and for me leads always to diminished fellowship with God. And it invariably leads to the loss of many blessings. But, but here's the cure, and you can get it from the text. The cure is to sit down at the cross and stare at it long enough so that your motivation for service is his love. You, you won't vacillate anymore if you're convinced he did this for you. You won't. You won't. People love bragging about the goodness of others in their lives. Oh, this guy, my teacher, this, this friend down the street, this guy went the extra mile. Great. We, we all can understand when people love us and it moves us. Well, just sit here and look at the cross. And you won't, again, be unwilling, I guess, to speak up for the Lord. Secret discipleship is never God's ideas. But, but Nicodemus and, and Joseph, their solution for their fear was mums the word. Right? Keep your convictions to yourself. I remember as a young uh, pastor in training at Calvary Costa Mesa, Pastor Chuck used to say to us, any dead fish can float downstream. But God wants you to go upstream and, and swim and bring the gospel to others. So notice what you read here in verse 43 of Joseph. It says that he came and he took courage. He had to come to Pilate to get the body and to bury him. Why did that take lots of courage? Well, we mentioned one of them. Roman law said that anybody suffering capital punishment was not entitled to a burial. They were entitled to hang on a cross until the birds pecked their flesh off their bodies. They were despised. Second of all, anyone supporting someone who has suffered capital punishment might very well be in line to be linked with them in terms of condemnation. So Joseph is taking a risk here. Number one, he's asking for something that, that, that the state gave him no right to do. Number two, he was willing to risk his neck to be with Jesus, who is now dead. Thirdly, if you know the story well, and I'm sure that you do, Pilate hated the Jews. In fact, this whole dance with Pilate over these last many hours before the cross what was the Jews manipulating Pilate to do what they wanted, threatening to, to write letters. They'd done it before. He was, you know, he's two strikes into trouble. And at every turn, they just made it harder on him. And Joseph wasn't just the, a part of that group. He might have been the vice president of that group or the treasurer. He was a distinguished member. He'd been around a long time. I'm sure Pilate knew him by face, if not by name. And yet he comes to ask Pilate, who's been just you know, bullied by these guys. Now, I, I get it. Pilate's hands are dirty. He's making the wrong choices. He'll answer for his life. But, but from the standpoint of, of just the flesh, Pilate now is in a position of the guy to tell the guy to go you know, take a hike. So he, he, he comes... Uh, looking kind of fear in the in, in the in the face, risking 
plenty. And that's why you read, he comes and he takes courage. Joseph only wanted to honor Jesus. Now, the tragedy is, he waited so long to love the Lord with his life. I always think about that. We, we have a large church, and in this last 10 days, after, well, two more days, I'll do another. I've done five funerals. I think we've done nine at the church since a week ago. And some of them were tragic. We had a 31-year-old man die of a heart attack suddenly. We um, had a 92-year-old lady go to be with the Lord. That was less tragic, but not any more easy for anyone. I learned over the years that if you love somebody, they die too young. They can be 90 or 190. One more day, Lord. That's pretty much our prayer usually. But we do a lot of these. Uh, lately, we've done a lot of these funerals. And, and I thought to myself, and you, you listen to family come and share. And I, I'm, I remember years ago, maybe you've heard the story of a, of a lady whose husband died. And she was sitting in the front with her, her son. And, and the casket was up in the front. And, and the fellow was doing a eulogy. And, and in the middle of it, she got up and she walked up to the to the casket and looked in. He said, everything all right? She says, yeah, but what you were saying, I wanted to make sure that was my husband. You hear the most flowery things. Everyone forgets the bad and they, they speak. And sometimes you go, that's not the guy, remember? Right? But we go out of our way once we suffer loss to try to, to, to put the best faith on, on everything. And, and I look around, even in San Curie the other day, we this man that, that died was young and, and there was hundreds of people there and there was... There was hundreds, not hundreds, but there was 15 or 20 of these real big flower, you know, arrangements. And we had to get them to take it home, you know. We, nothing we can do with them at the church. And they were everywhere. And I thought, wouldn't it have been cool if, if someone had shot, showed up with flowers before he died? Like, hey, dude, I love you, man. Here, I bought you some flowers. All right, maybe not flowers. Maybe, you know, <laughs> tickets to a ball game. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> that you, you could express your, your sentiment beforehand. I always... Try to say to people, tell them you love them while they're, while they're with you, you know. But look what happens to these guys. They show up with 100 pounds of spices. Joseph's risking his neck just to, to drag a dead body to his grave because he happens to be a rich guy and he owns one in town and it's close by and he, it's the least he can do. And I guess it's better to, you know, you could write out over that it's better than the guilt and condemnation of silence. But, he, you know... He, he must have had a big list of I wish I hads. But you won't have them if you stand at the cross and, and, and realize it's been done for you. Then you're proud of the Lord that you serve. Then you can't wait to tell someone. I don't care if they listen or not. It's the truth. And it's the power of God unto salvation to those who will listen. Pilate was surprised that Jesus was already dead. He had the soldier go back and check before he gives approval, and then he gives commandment to the soldiers to let him have the body. And verse 46 tells us that he brought linens uh, to take Jesus from the cross. And it would mean that Joseph came, and, and while the crowd who had been jeering and, and mocking him stood by, Joseph step, steps forward, a recognizable guy, and identifies with a dead Lord. Even in their jurings, he makes himself available. So here's Nicodemus in the daylight for the first time. Praise the Lord. <laughs> John chapter 19. A hundred pounds of spices, anointing oils, overkill, and off they go to bury Jesus to lay him in Joseph's tomb. 
in the vineyard below Calvary, a tomb that no one had laid in is what Matthew records saying. I would just tell you he wasn't going to stay there. He just borrowed the tomb for the weekend. He was going to be back. And then they sealed the, the tomb with a stone over the mouth of it. They, they took care of the hard things that people have to do when someone dies. But, you know, I would say that Joseph and, and Nicodemus might, might have felt better than they had had in years under the circumstances. They finally got to do something that they wanted, that love motivated them to act. You'll feel a lot better about yourself if you go out there and talk to them about Christ. All you know, all God's done for you, that you owe it to him to share, don't you? I feel obligated. Paul, Paul, Paul said, woe is me if I don't preach. <laughs> There's really no way to keep it to yourself. Jeremiah tried it. He said, you know, I was tired of the responses. I determined I wasn't going to say another word. And then the fire of God in my body, you know, I couldn't keep it to myself. Well, that's these two guys. The disciples were nowhere to be found. Aside from John, who shows up at the tomb and is assigned by the Lord before noon to the care of his mother, we don't find any disciples anywhere this uh, Friday night except to read that they had been in hiding. Now, here's an interesting juxtaposition. I had a stroke. These are hard words. I use this whenever I can. The disciples were in the open until the cross, and the cross made them secret disciples. They went the other way, right? They were with the Lord till they, till, till it didn't work out, and then they were gone. And, and then here's Joseph and, and their secret disciples, and the cross brings them out, which is an interesting picture because, you know, these guys had been outspoken in Jesus' name. They'd been sat, sent out in his authority. They, they'd experienced his power. They'd, they'd gone out two by two, first 12 and 70 to heal the sick, sick and, and deliver those who were possessed by the, the devil, you know, and, and they went out, and the Lord always was there with them. And yet now he's gone and they're gone. And, and I find that pretty applicable today. There, we find folks sometimes who they, they get saved and they seem to start off really well for the Lord. And they walk with him until he lets them down somehow. Right? We see them for six months or a year. And then all of a sudden, where did Joe go? He, he's not coming to church. Why? Well, you know, he's praying the Lord. He lost his job and the God wasn't fair. And the Lord let him down. And so he didn't do what they expected. Or there's some kind of persecution for the faith and identifying with him as a result we don't see them in fellowship they they hit the discouragement trail verse 47 says and mary magdalene and mary the mother of joseph observed where he had laid them this is what matthew records or luke records here sorry and and the woman who had come with him from Galilee, followed after, Matthew, uh, Luke 23, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid, and they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath day according to the commandment. The other reaction that you find in, you know, close to the time of the Lord's death, the two men who came out of the bushes, the disciples who hid in them, <laughs> and then you have these really faithful women. In fact, they came, most of them, from Galilee. They had traveled with the Lord for years. They were all very indebted to, them, to him. No more so Mary than Mary Magdalene, right? Seven demons thrown out of her life. Rough life. Jesus said of her, she, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. I mean, she was devoted to the Lord. And one thing you find out about the women, not the guys, but the ladies, 
is they were faithful to the Lord even after he died. Right? Their motivation was strictly one of love. Just love. Even though he was gone, didn't matter to them. And these women continue, continue to show this, this almost an unbelievable capability of love. It, it, I am certain, and I'm not going to make any friends here, I guess, but I'm certain that women have a much greater capacity of devotion than most guys do. Just, I'll just use Bible verses, and then you'll see I'm right. If someone burns me and it happens, I am more than willing to write them off in my mind. Well, if that's the way they want to be, just they're dead to me. My wife would never let that happen. She would show compassion to the person that has burned her. She would make excuses for their behavior. She'll try to explain how that might have been the case. I'm thinking he should die. And my, no, no, you know, maybe he had a bad day and maybe his tires went flat. I don't care. He ripped me off. She will offer explanations and be moved forward in love. And I'm convinced, my own little convictions, women don't need a reason to love. They just do it. Even if it's impractical, like the Lord is dead. All right, we're going to meet back here on Sunday morning. You know, break. They're in a huddle. They're all assigned. You know, you get some spies. You get some oil. We'll be back. They showed up on that morning saying to one another, I wonder how we're going to roll back a 2,000-pound stone. Totally impractical. Well, we've got to go. We love him. How are you going to get in there? We don't know. We don't care. Just devoted. Men are practical. He's dead. Let's go. That's it. It's over. We thought. We hoped. It didn't work out. And we're gone. The women stay until he is buried. Not only died, but is removed, is prepared, is carried. They follow. They, they see it all. And then they go home with plans to come back and do a better job than Joseph and Nicodemus could ever have done. The women follow with any, uh, without any concern to their personal well-being. They're driven only by their love for their Lord and what he has done for them. His death doesn't move them away from that loving response. And like I said, 100 pounds of spices is not nearly enough for their God. So they aren't about to give up now when things look like they've, they've all just kind of run away. The resurrection should not have been foreign to them, but it was. If you read the Gospels, you will, you will start to tally up how many times the Lord said, and on the third day I will rise again. Nobody marked that down, except the Romans. And the Sanhedrin, who came to, you remember, right, after Jesus died, they went to Pilate and they said, look, uh, Matthew 27, this man said while he was alive that he would rise from the dead on the third day, so we'd like to set a guard so no one can come take his body. And, and Pilate makes this wonderful statement. He goes, well, just make it as secure as you can. Good luck with that. So these ladies were just driven by a tremendous love for the Lord. They were not going to give up. And like I said, even though the resurrection shouldn't have been foreign to them, but it was, their love for the Lord was far more present tense, and it kept them there at his side no matter the cost. Now, they would get rewarded for this, wouldn't they? I mean, you know the story. 
first Mary Magdalene and then the group of women, they both get to meet Jesus when he is alive or, or when he is risen, I should say, and, and, and ready to show himself. All of Easter Sunday morning was, was devoted to, hey, it's me, right? Mary Magdalene thought he was the gardener. That shouldn't mess up all of your paintings of Jesus risen in gold. Mary Mangle, are you the gardener? I, you know, he's got a, a hat and a weed whacker or something. I know. The cool thing about Jesus after the resurrection is everyone that knew him still had to have him revealed, right? Because that's how you meet the Lord, through revelation. Knowing God is a revelation relationship, right? Flesh and mud hasn't told you this, Peter. My Father in heaven showed you this. So that, that's a good assurance to you as, that are saved that God came to speak to you, showed you his son. Both Mary and the ladies tackled him when they saw him. Jesus told both of them, let me go. This isn't the kind of relationship we're going to have. I haven't, res- res- I haven't ascended yet. But, but both the, this woman, Mary Magdalene, who was... I think she started off with all the women and ran ahead because everyone was too slow for her. She was into it, you know. And then the girls came later. Uh, they were rewarded by seeing the Lord first. And isn't it interesting, all the men... When they heard from the women three different times and from others, the Lord's alive, they went, yeah, the girls are beside themselves. Boy, are they emotional. And Jesus showed up in the evening and, and he upbraided them for their unbelief. You foolish ones. You, you know that the Lord spent the entire Sunday afternoon, Easter afternoon with one couple, right? On the road to Emmaus. All day with, with one couple. Now, if it was me, if I was rising, I'd go to show myself to everyone. I'm alive. Go to the Sanhedrin meeting. Scare the heck out of Pilate. Hey, dude, wake up. I'm here. No, he goes to one couple. In the morning, he shows himself to those who he has chosen, Peter as well. In the afternoon, he spends time with one couple, giving them a Bible study through all of the Bible about the things that pertain to him. In the evening, as they run back seven and a half miles forward, from where they lived in Emmaus to tell everyone again that they were that the Lord is alive. And again, same response. Oh, yeah, sure. Jesus pops in. And at night, it is that commissioning and the filling of God's spirit and the promise of that which is to come. So you have two guys that are hidden in their faith, brought out into the open because of their understanding of, of, of the Lord's love. You find a bunch of guys who were sure that this was it <laughs> and being pragmatic when he's dead, they, they gave up their hope. You have faithful women who love the Lord diligently and selflessly and their love would be greatly rewarded. And I guess we can find ourselves in there. You know, there's a lot of secret disciples that are still loving the praises of men more than the praises of God. And the cure, I, to me, the cure is just sit down at the cross and don't leave until you're convinced this was for you, that the Lord did this for you. I know he did it for all of us, but he did it for you. It's got to be personal, right? Your salvation isn't collective. It's personal. Calvary Chapel, Pasadena isn't going in as a group. You're going in one at a time. Unless the Lord should come back, then I guess we'll all go as a group. The cure is to just, you know, forget man's opinions or his approvals. They're pretty fickle, you know. If you have a good year as a ball player, everybody cheers for you. But you throw a couple of wild pitches and swing and miss a couple of times, and you're a rat. Crowds are fickle. The Lord is faithful. 
I'd rather be on his side. And the enemy can discourage you. He certainly discouraged these apostles. He drove them away in hopelessness. For them, the, the, the cost was too high to follow and the dividends were unsure, so they hid. But not the girls. Yay, girls. Boo dudes. I didn't make this up. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you this, after, this, this evening as we sit together that that we sit together in a body of believers that have been not only saved by the blood of the Lamb, but brought into a relationship with you because you, Lord, so loved us that you didn't leave us separated or in our sin or, or dying without any hope, but you, you not only made us, but then you, you planned to redeem us. And as we read through, especially the reactions that were proximal to the cross, we, we, we find all sorts of people fearful ones being made bold, bold ones being made fearful, and those who loved you continuing to do just that. And Father, that we would, in these last days especially, do what we were really left here to do. We all are, have given gifts and, and talents and, and callings, but the, the one calling we all share is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature whether we're good musicians or we have a good voice or we have good patience or we can teach the children, whether we have skills, and it doesn't really matter. We're all called to this one thing. We need to bear the, the name of Jesus to our generation. And Father, it is my prayer for all of us that we wouldn't be ashamed of you or embarrassed to be associated with you, that, that the praises of men would mean far less to us than, than your applause and your acceptance and, and, and your approval that, that we, was, we would just look up to heaven and see you nodding at us that is far better than the class or the team or the or the work crew accepting me as their own that you would use me that you would speak through me that you would pour out your spirit upon us and that the world would get to hear who you were because of sending us forth with a good message of a risen Lord. So, Father, keep us from secret discipleship. Keep us from discouragement. May we be about your business. I know that if there was one thing you you would tell us to do, that would be it. Honor my son. (laughs) Preach good news. The power of God to salvation, to, to the Jew and to the Gentile. And may we see our church, our churches filled with hearts that were open and believers that come running. And that we might experience, not, Lord, not the frustration of hiding, but the joy of sticking out, standing up. And may I encourage you to do that. If, you, if you're worried about, you know, I don't have the right things to say, man, I tell you, you just tell people what God has done with you. I know that you know a couple of verses because... Those have meant the most to you. Share them. Start there. God's word doesn't go out void. God will use you. People are dying to know the truth. They're just always being presented with a God that isn't biblical at all. And no wonder they run away and hide. But you know the truth of God. You know his word. You know his heart. And if you'll just represent him, you'll be a soul winner that the Bible says is wise. (laughs) And there will be much fruit waiting for you as well. So may you be encouraged to 
to take good news and share it. Be, be busy about his business, especially in these last days when there's such hopelessness and fear in the world. And we serve a God that's going to overcome the world. And so will you in him. In Jesus' name.